0: We're talking about beating the odds, and today I want to talk to you about beating the odds in our mindset, in our thought processes, in our thought patterns, and in our perspectives. When I think about beating the odds, uh, uh, these people come to mind. This is George Blanda, NFL quarterback. When this picture was taken, he was 43 years old. This next man is also an NFL quarterback, and he's 43 years old as well. I'd say he's beating the odds. (laughs) I didn't even look that good when I was 33. What you eating, Tom Brady? This is Kate Foster. Kate Foster was a gymnast in Illinois. When she was 11, she was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. It infected her leg, and the doctors told her, you have to choose between life and limb. And she was passionate about gymnastics. So this was a very difficult choice for her. But finally, she conceded to the doctors and they amputated her leg. She showed up to a meeting with her coach. And her coach said, I've never coached a one-legged gymnast. She said, I've never been a one-legged gymnast, but I'd like to try. She continued in gymnastics. And in 2017, 2018, she was helping out, assisting coach, University of North Carolina in their gymnastics program. She's beating the odds. This is Charlotte Brown. Charlotte Brown is one of the best, was one of the best high school pole vaulters in the state of Texas. In 2016, she got third overall in the state. And is the state that great and a state that big? You would say, oh, she's beating the odds. But even better when you hear that Charlotte is legally blind. And for her to run down the pole vaulting track, it's pitch black all around except for one small little blurry white spot at the very end. How do they beat the odds? You see, they don't have a physical advantage. In fact, they have a physical setback. They have a physical disadvantage. But there's something in their mindset. They decided to have a different mindset. They decided to tell themselves a different story, one that would not sabotage their success, but one that would support their success. We are only as strong as the stories we tell ourselves. That's what I want to say today. We are only as strong as the stories we tell ourselves. What story or what stories have you been telling yourselves? We all came in this room, very different walks of life, different ages, different genders. We're all telling ourselves a different story. Sometimes we tell ourselves a different story about who God is. You know, he doesn't love me. He's not for me. I hear him, he, he works in other people's lives, but he never seems to show up in my life. He's so distant. We tell ourselves stories about God. We tell ourselves stories about other people. It's very easy for us to tell ourselves a story about whose fault that last fight was, right? Who's to blame for that? And what do they need to do to pay for that? We tell ourselves stories about our significant other, maybe about our kids. They're just the difficult one. They're always gonna be that way. We're only as strong as the stories we tell ourselves. What stories have we been telling ourselves? And sometimes, sometimes those stories, those narratives push us further and further away from who we really are, from our true self, from who God made us to be, and away from our Savior. So my hope today is to help us be aware of the stories we're telling and maybe bring them into alignment with the story that God tells about us. Malika Whitley, she grew up right in our own backyard in Atlanta, and she was a youth, a young adolescent growing up in her house until her mother, at the age of 16, when Malika was 16, her mother had some emotional setbacks. And she began to verbally and physically abuse Malika. And she had to make a difficult choice. And she made the choice that it was safer for her to be out on the streets than to be in her own home. And so she joined one of the 3,500 plus homeless teenagers in Atlanta. She had her backpack. All of her belongings were in her backpack, and she still went to class, and she still went to school, but she had no place to sleep, and no money, and no food to eat, and she felt invisible, unloved, unknown, and it wore on her, and she had to make a choice. She had to decide what story was she going to tell ourselves. herself. Was the universe against her? Did everything happen and it just confirmed that she was worthless and not valuable and this was just doomsday? Was she gonna be another statistic? Was she gonna choose a certain lifestyle just to survive? What type of story was she gonna tell herself in that moment? And we may not find ourselves in the same situation, but I would argue we battle the same stories. And some of us have sacked the odds against ourselves because we've been telling ourselves stories that aren't true, that aren't true. So, what I'd like to do today is go to Romans 12, 1 through 3, and just kind of camp out in this passage for a little bit. Sometimes in my sermons, I have two points or three points, hopefully, no more than ever five points. But today, I just want to talk about this one concept, and I want to illustrate it in several different ways to help connect with you in going forward in your thought processes. So, Romans 12, 1 through 3, let's dive in. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, One of the things Paul is getting at right here in the beginning of this chapter is he wants to challenge the way that we view who? God. He says, I want you to live your life in such a way that you are rooted in the perspective that God is merciful. He says, in view of God's mercies. A.W. Tozer said, one of the most important things about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Is He a narrow minded, rigid rule keeper, a bookkeeper who is constantly tallying up your behavior as scores and measuring you at the end of the day? And if you did enough good, He's happy. And if you did more bad, then He's disappointed in you. Is He that kind of God? Is he a principal who's grumpy and frustrated and always out to discipline you, always out to catch you, always out to look at you and see where you could be measuring up more? Is he a distant and aloof God, silent, far from being known? Paul says, I want us to start to rethink how we view God that he is first and foremost a God of mercy, that he is a God of compassion, that he moves towards us and his first word is not condemnation, it's compassion. I understand what you're struggling with. I know you. I understand what you're battling with. I came and I put on flesh like you and walked a mile in your shoes so I could identify with you so you wouldn't feel that you were alienated, but so that you might know that I love you. And Paul says, first and foremost, please begin to rethink who God is. And he is a God of great mercy. Paul says this here in this passage, a renewed mind is a mind in surrender. It's a mind in surrender. He says in 12.2, do not conform to the pattern of this world do not conform to the pattern of this world so so paul says in view of god's mercy the first thing you're going to have to admit because god is merciful is that things need to change something has to change do not conform to the pattern of this world the world has a process and a pattern and it's seductive, and it would love to trap you in it. It would love to trap me in it. It would love to bring us into its vortex, if you will. I want you to think like this. I want you to have a thought process and thought patterns like this. What are some of those thought processes? As Paul says in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, dissension, rivalries, factions, gossip, slander, division, disunity, disunity, backbiting, you see? And the world rejoices in these things and says, I would love to keep you in this pattern of thinking. I would love to lock you into this pattern of thinking. I know Christmas is over, but it's one of my favorite times of year. And I always struggle to take down my Christmas lights. Even when January hits, anybody identify with that? You're like, can we keep it on just a little bit longer? One of my favorite things to do during Christmas is me and my wife have this tradition every year There, we send the kids to bed, we stay up a little bit later and we make Christmas cookies. Not just sugar cookies, but almond cookies. And we have this little device that we bought, I don't know, 10 years ago. And it's this tube and on one end is a handle and it's pressurized. And on the other end, it's open because we have about 15 different patterns that we can put in there. And uh, we always love figuring out which which pattern are we gonna start with? Which cookie are we gonna make? And we make Christmas tree cookies and then we decorate them with green sprinkles. And then we make snowflake cookies and we change the pattern. And here's the thing, whatever pattern is on the end is the pattern that's going to come out in the cookie cutter. That's the pattern that we'll get. And if we keep sowing seed in the world's thought processes, we're going to keep reaping the harvest that the world wants us to reap. It's just a matter of fact. This is what it means when he says God cannot be mocked. There's just a universal principle. We reap what we sow. And if we want to reap something different, we've got to sow different what? Different thoughts. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, as someone who really likes details, like I really feel comfortable when, someone, when, I, when I know exactly what to do, when I know exactly what to expect. When you lay out the rules for me, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can operate in that. That makes me feel really good. Thank you. And I look at this verse and I think, why did Paul not just get really explicit with us? Why didn't he just tell us exactly what the pattern of the world is so that we could avoid it? Why didn't he do that? He kept it broad. Here's why. Here's why I think. I think it's this. Because God wants every person in every place in history, in their own context, by discernment and prayer and community to figure out what the pattern of the world is in their time. What does it look like right now? How is the world thought process showing up for us right now in 2021 in South Carolina? And how do we begin to respond in such a way that avoids that pattern of thinking? It'd be tempting to look at the last year and the turn of this year and say something like this, oh, this just all feels apocalyptic. It just feels like the end I think some Christian bloggers and authors are talking like that. It just feels like judgment. And, uh, you know, I got to be honest with you probably June, July, August, September, you know, things are wearing on when things didn't kind of open up as we thought they were going to. I began to have these thoughts out loud, like, why is this happening? And what is going on? It felt apocalyptic. Here's the challenge with that that's not necessarily the only or primary meaning. Of apocalypse, Do you know what apocalypse means? It means to reveal or to unveil. That's where we get the title of the book of Revelation. It's the Greek word apocalypsis. It's to reveal things that haven't been revealed before. It's a very different mindset to say, this must be doomsday to ask the question, what is this revealing? What is being unveiled? perhaps, perhaps, Something is coming new on the horizon and God is asking of his people, will you try to figure this out so that you can respond in such a way and set the table well for the generation following you? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. He goes on to say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what I think this means? I think this means this for us. You always have a choice. We always have a choice. I always have a choice. Sometimes we treat our lives like this. Sometimes I'm tempted to do this. Well, you know, I've been dealt my hand and it's all I got. It's not a very good hand. You know, things were passed down to me from grandparents and great-grandparents and parents. And I can't even really put a pair of twos together, but it's the hand I got. So I just got to play it. I'm kind of stuck. It's kind of, the die has been cast. The hand has been dealt. Nothing's ever going to change. I don't have a choice, I'm just repeating those things. That's just not true. I was, uh, we, we drove back from Michigan over Christmas break. We went up there to see some family and we were driving back and I had the early drive. So everybody was asleep and I put on my headphones and put some podcasts and music on. And one of the podcasts I listened to was by Brene Brown. And Brene Brown is an author. She's a researcher. She's a speaker. She researches shame, vulnerability, courage, leadership. And she was having this question around leadership and courage. And what does it take for leaders to lead courageously and to have courageous conversations, risking vulnerability, and she was interviewing leaders, and she said to them, what do you think it takes for leaders to have courage? And a lot of the leaders that she interviewed said something like this. They would say, well, you either got it or you don't. You know, some people just have it, and some people don't. It's not something you can teach. It's not a skill you can develop, and she says, whenever I hear that, more flags go off than a 4th of July parade. She said, because I'm sitting on 400,000 pieces of research data that says that's simply not true. You always have a choice. Unless it comes to something hereditary like you have brown eyes or you have green eyes, you always have a choice. We never have to be... The victim with Christ, we can choose to be the victor. And here, here, the language supports that. Did you know? But be transformed. In the Greek, is something like this. There's, there's a few different voices. This could be. It could be active. It could be active voice, like I'm the one doing the transformation. I'm doing the action. But that's not it. It could be passive. The transformation is being done to me. And I don't have a part in it. I don't have a say in it. I'm just this uh, object and it's being done. That's not it either. There's another alternative and it's called the middle or the reflexive voice. And it's something like this. When I am being invited to be transformed, it is my responsibility to either accept or reject, to either yield or deny, to either surrender or push away. You see that? And Jesus knocks on the door because he's a gentleman. And Jesus asks if he can cooperate with us to tell, us, tell our lives a different story so we might have a different outcome. And it's our responsibility to participate in this process of the spirit or we can participate in the pattern of the world. You see? Which one will it be? Which one is it for us? We always have a choice and we are continually being invited to participate in the change process. This is what a renewed mind is. And I just want to be clear here. I'm not necessarily talking about positive thinking. A renewed mind is not transformed by the power of positive thinking, but by the power of purified thinking. You see, and and I'm not here to wholly just destroy positive thinking. I guess I would just ask the question, well, it depends on what you mean. It depends on what you're saying to yourself. It depends on what type of person you are and what type of positive thinking you're talking about. If it's something like a person telling themselves, well, I don't really need anybody and I can do this on my own and you know, I don't need support or community, I got this by myself. Or something like, you know, they talk about brokenness and sin and evil, that's all just a myth. I don't really have any problems. I don't need forgiveness. That's not positive thinking, that's poisonous thinking because it's simply not true. It's not in alignment with real reality, the the, the ultimate story that God is telling. And it's not necessarily positive thinking that transforms us, but it's purified thinking. Listen to Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight whose passion, whose desire, whose longing is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, this is is the best simile that that, uh, David could come up with as an outcome. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What do you hear? I hear growth. I hear growth. I hear groundedness. I hear rootedness. A renewed mind is transformed by the power of purified thinking. Some of you like camping or backpacking, and some of you, you're pretty hardcore. You don't take any water with you. Like when you go, you take a water bottle, but you go to a stream, you find a flowing stream and you get water out of that water bottle, but you've also bought some kind of filter because you know you can't drink that water as it is because it's not clean for you and it'll make you sick. So you get a filter and you take that water and it purifies, it cleanses the water so that it makes it suitable for you to drink. And David says here, blessed is the one who cleanses their mind with the word of God, who purifies their thinking with the stories that God is telling, you see? And it's a daily occurrence. It's a daily need. He says they meditate on it day and night. They're passionate about it. They're going to it. They're checking their thoughts against it. It's cleansing. And just as a side note, just as a side note, did you notice verse one? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, the sinners, or the mockers, or the scoffers. Guess what? These are not people outside the community of faith, just as food for thought. These are people inside the community of faith. You see, because another thing that Psalm 1 reveals is there is a great difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Between a fixed mindset and a growth growth mindset. And in Psalm 1, 1, you hear that the scoffers, the cynics, the hard-hearted, the people whose hearts they've allowed to grow cold, as Jesus says, they're mocking the ways of God and they're mocking the people of God from the inside. Because they have a fixed mindset. You know, this is how it is. If God was really good, he would have already intervened. If God was really powerful, why well, hasn't he even done anything? It's a fixed mindset versus what you see in verse three is a growth mindset. Some of you may have heard of Carol Dweck. She is, has a PhD in psychology, and she spent, has spent thousands of hours researching students' mindsets. And she came to the conclusion that there's two basic mindsets. This is where this this terminology comes from. There's a fixed mindset and there's a growth mindset. And the student with the fixed mindset says something like this, I'm either smart and I can do it, or I'm dumb and I can't. I either have this skill and I can do it or I haven't been given it and I can't do it. And so when a student with a fixed mindset gets a bad grade on an exam, they tell themselves this story. You see, I'm not smart. I'm stupid. I can't do it. And then the layers of story just spiral down. The next layer is something like this. So why would I put effort into it? I shouldn't even try. She says, contrast that with the students that had a growth mindset and the growth mindset didn't focus so much on the outcome, but the process and the growth mindset students that they got a bad grade in an exam, they would say something like this. I haven't mastered that skill yet, but I will. I don't understand it yet. I just need to put more effort into it to figure that out. There's a school in Chicago that understands this and they have... A class that every student has to take to get their diploma to graduate. And do you know what happens on their scorecard, if you will, when they don't pass this class? They don't get an F. It just simply says this not yet. Not yet. They haven't yet completed it, they haven't yet figured it out, they haven't yet learned it or put the effort into it. You see, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says, I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me and he goes away sad and the disciples have a fixed mindset and they say, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus has a growth mindset and you remember what he says. He says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, say it with me, all things are possible. Let's say it again like we mean it all things are possible. You see, that's the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. A fixed mindset says, I can't change. A growth mindset says, I'm not there yet. Am I as loving as I wanna be, me personally? Not yet. Am I as patient with my family as I wanna be? Not yet. Have we solved racial inequality? Not yet. Have we figured out how to repair and restore all the wounds and injustices in this world? Not yet, but we're working on it and we can work on it together. What if you told yourself a different story about your significant other, about your career, about your dreams, about your genius, about your creativity, about whatever you have yet to unleash? What if it was something like this? Because a fixed mindset says, this is as good or as bad as it's gonna get, but a growth mindset says this, the best is yet to come. Mount Horeb, we've had, you've had an incredible history and I'm just getting on the train if you will, but I would argue this, the best is yet to come. What if you said to your significant other, we've had a great run at it or there's been some challenges, but guess what I think about us? The best is yet to come. What if you thought that about yourself and what you were endeavoring to do to bring work into this world? The best is yet to come. What if that was your mindset with your relationship to Jesus? God, it's been tough and sometimes I feel like you're distant, but guess what? The best is yet to come. That's a growth mindset. That's a renewed mind. That's a different story and it will set us on a different trajectory because guess what? A renewed mind isn't made up. I like that. We're not so concluded. We haven't figured everything out. We're curious and humble and courageous and hungry were open Romans 8 6 says this the mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace the mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace let me ask you a question are the stories that we're telling ourselves about others do they lead to death Or do they lead to life? You see, because we can be really good. One of the the things that Romans 8 is talking about is the ego. It's that need to protect ourselves. It's that need to have a self-inflated view of ourselves or a self-deflated view of ourselves. And guess what? The ego always needs an enemy. It needs a prop. And so we're gonna prop whoever or whatever we can up and tell ourselves a story about them. And we're gonna tell ourselves that they're wholly bad, that maybe there's no hope for them, That maybe they're the source of all my frustration and tension and pain. And if they were just gone, my life would be better. And friends, we do this with anyone around us. We do this with people outside the church. Is the story you're telling yourself about that person, does it lead to death or does it lead to life? Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. So we have to live beyond ego. Ego ego also results in self-exaltation or self-degradation. Uh, a, a too high view of who we are? An overinflated view? Or an undervalued view? The, the overinflated view goes, goes something like this. It tells our self story something like this. No one can do this like I can. I don't need anybody. People talk about problems. My only problem is people. I'm indispensable. You ever tell yourself that? I've, I've told myself that one before. How about this one? I deserve better. I deserve better. Now sometimes... That's deservability and it's true, but often it's really entitlement. I deserve better than this. Friends, please be very careful of the entitlement narrative at your workplace, in your core relationships, because sometimes we let this entitlement story creep in and then we start to think to to ourselves, and we'll get people that are around us to support us in this, that, you know what, They're, they're not meeting my needs anymore. I don't feel very loved you know what? He's never listened to you. And we start to let these stories build momentum. And I want to be delicate here, but then we get to a place where we're considering ending a marriage with no biblical grounds, all because we let entitlement creep in. You see, it's interesting. There used to be this shame around divorce and there was a societal pressure around you shouldn't get a divorce. And now I think the script is flipped. And now it's something like this, like, oh, there's a shame and pressure, like if you stick it out, but you're unhappy. You see? Like, you deserve better than this. Friends, be very, very careful that we are not confusing entitlement with deservability. But it also works the other way, self-degradation. You know, we, we, we tell ourselves this story. No one struggles with this. No one struggles with this like I do. And it locks us in isolation. If you only knew these crazy thoughts that I have, these crazy things going on in my heart of my behavior, you would be completely appalled. You would reject me. And we tell ourselves this story and it locks us in isolation. I don't have what it takes, right? I'm too much. My emotions are too much. I'm just too much. People can't handle me if I'm just being me. And we tell ourselves these stories and it locks us again back into this fixed mindset. And one of the most damaging stories that we have ever heard or told ourselves is this, I can never change. And guess what? If I believe I can never change, I will never change. And I'm not saying this to be dramatic because I don't say this lightly. But if you believe that about yourself, that comes directly from the evil one. And it is simply a lie designed to lock you in keep you stuck in self-destructive patterns. Who knows where these stories come from sometimes? Sometimes they were told to us. Sometimes by an authority figure, a parent, a coach, a pastor, and that gives it more weight. And sometimes we think to ourselves, you know what? I don't want to deal with the past. I'm a new creation in Christ. I don't need to go there. I'm just going to focus on what's ahead. And friends, I will tell you that that's not a helpful mindset. I've never, ever found that very helpful for people at all. In fact, some of you will need to do the hard work of going backwards in order to go forwards. Because what happened back then is affecting the here and now. And you have to go supplant those seeds, take them out, and sow something different. Sometimes I think, where do these thoughts come from? We aren't responsible for where, but for what, when they cross our minds. We're not responsible for the origin, whether it's our fallen heart, the devil, something in our past. We're not responsible for where it came from, but we are responsible For the outcome? What do we do with it now that it's here? Sometimes we tell ourselves this story I can't. I can't. I just can't. We have to be careful with that one. I uh, recently changed my driver's license over from Missouri to South Carolina. And uh, at the DMV, they ask you these questions that you want on your driver's license, and they ask you, How tall are you and how much do you weigh? But they don't measure you and they don't have a scale. So you should write something on there just for future reference that makes you look at it and feel pretty good about yourself. So I went to the DMV and I'm like, well, you're not gonna measure me. So yeah, I wrote down my weight and my height and I'm going home and I'm bebopping along and I get home and my wife's like, oh, let me see your driver's license. And I'm like, oh, okay, here you go. And she looks at my driver's license and she goes, 160. I said, it's a mindset, it's a goal. She said, you haven't been 160 since you did your half Ironman. I said, all right, fair enough. When I was 30 years old in 2010, I did a half Ironman swim, bike, run. I didn't grow up doing these sports. I did more football, basketball, baseball, but I was bored at 30 and I was like, let's try something new. And so it's a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike and a 13.1 mile run. And uh, I did the training and I'm going through the training and there's long days of training. and it's about Three months of training before the race came on, and the race is coming along, and I'm ready to go, I feel pretty good. And some people were in my life that were coaching me along at this time, and my older brother was one of them because he's been a personal trainer for years upon years, and he has his own kettlebell gym now. And so he said to me, he said, "You know, everything that I've heard about these races and that I'm researching, uh, is, you need to know this: When it gets towards the end of the race, it's not going to be a physical battle anymore. It's going to be mental. It's going to be mental. And sure enough, after four hours, I did a swim and a 56-mile bike, four hours of nonstop exercise. I started my run. And when I was training, I felt good till about mile six. And then it was really difficult. We're not in the race. In the race, it was mile one. And in mile one, I was in pain. And my body was communicating to me, you need to stop this. This is not right. You, You shouldn't be doing this to me. Don't you care about me? I'm hurting. And then began the true battle. And I knew that going in. And so I had a couple phrases in my mind that when that happened, I was gonna fight back. And one of those was was just simply headstrong. I knew there's gonna be a mental battle. I've gotta be headstrong. And so I just repeated that to myself when that battle came over and over and over and over again. I had to tell myself a new story because everything inside of me was communicating, stop. And I was tempted to tell myself other stories. Like, why does this really matter? You know what? You've never done this. You're not supposed to really finish the race. They don't, nobody expects this from you. Not a lot of people even know you did it. So nobody's gonna really think you're a failure, right? I'm tempted to tell the story, I can't do this. But do you know, if, do you know what I can't turns into? I can't turns into I won't. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can I can. I can. By the power of Christ, I can. By the power of prayer, I can. Through the help of the community, I can. I'm not fixed. The die has not been cast. There is hope for me. All things are possible in Christ and in and through him, I can. That's a different mindset. That's a different story. The small stories that we daily tell ourselves impact the larger story of our life, which impacts other stories around us. So Malika Whitley, she's there and she's at a crossroads. What story is she gonna tell herself? Will she end up another statistic? Will she just try to survive? What will she do? She decided to tell herself a different story. She snuck into churches that were open early in the morning or late at night. And she would often sit in the back in the corridor, in the hallway, wherever she could, down in the basement, and she would sing, and she would listen for music. And when the music came along, she would sing along with the music. And she would find these different churches, and she would express herself and cope with being homeless through creativity and through the arts. She finished high school, and years later, she now started this organization called Chop Art. Chop Art is a nonprofit organization in Atlanta for homeless teenagers to come and cope with being homeless by expressing themselves through singing, through dance, through writing, through poetry. And the stories we tell ourselves are not just for us. It's for the sake of other stories. And now because she decided to tell her mind a different story, she's impacting hundreds of other stories. Friends, it's never just about us. We have work to do in the world, and we're not there yet, but we're on our way. So what do we do? How do we do this well together? Very briefly in closing. Here's some things we can do. First, identify the stories you're telling yourself. Just name it. Just identify it. Just catch it. What is that thought? Oh, there it is. Now, some of you, you've already been working at this. So you're a regular at this. And you're hearing me today and thoughts are coming along. You're like, yep, yep, I'm with that. I understand that. Some of you, this is difficult for you. This may be the first time you've thought about this. And it's gonna take effort, but you can do it. Get somebody around you who's safe, who knows you, who loves you, and say, help me, help me catch the stories that I'm telling myself. I don't quite know. And maybe it takes you sitting down to journal just to write down, oh, I feel really silly, but I'm going to write down some of my thoughts. I'd like to renew my mind, identify those stories. Secondly, invest in daily personal renewal. This is a daily thing. Like Just as much as we need clean water, just as much as we got to dip down a water bottle in the stream and have the filter and purify it, we need daily personal renewal. We need this constant cleansing to align ourselves with the story that God's telling about us. What is that for you? Maybe it's getting up early or staying up just a little bit later to meditate on the truth, write down the truth, to memorize it. Maybe it's music. We sang to start this service. This is my testimony because God's rewriting my story. And that he's a way maker and a miracle worker. Music is a very powerful tool for renewal and renewal of our thoughts. But it's gonna take daily activity. And lastly, invest in weekly collective renewal. Now, I know it's super cliche for the guy on the stage to be like, you should come to church. But hear me out. Wouldn't we want to be in a place with other people or joining virtually where, get this, Everybody's minds, as neuropsychologists are telling us, they're linking and communicating together as we're here in this room, that we are all striving towards the same goal. That in ways we can't even articulate, we are encouraging each other. We are going forward. Our minds are moving as a collective whole towards one end, and that is Christ-likeness in this world. Wouldn't you want to be in that place? We need the weekly collective renewal, whether it's Bible studies, groups, Sunday worship. And it encourages us and it strengthens our minds and it sets us the story of our life on a new impact for the story of others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth. God, thank you that you are have told and are telling a beautiful narrative one that really rings true deeply in our hearts. It resonates with our deepest knowledge that we are valuable. You created us, that we have intrinsic dignity and value. God, you're telling the story and the accurate diagnosis of what went wrong with the world, that it's our own heart. That resonates with us. It's true in our own experience that we have a fallen heart, that we often do what we don't want to do and what we want to do, we struggle to do. But God, you're also telling a really attractive story that you didn't come into the world to condemn us and shame us and put us in a corner and tell us how bad we are, but you came to redeem us and restore us and you invite us to live big and to live a life that tells about you Help us. Father, thank you for telling a story where we're not just passive, but we get to participate and do something. There is work to do. Strengthen us for that work. God, thank you that you fight on our behalf so that we might hear your whispers. Sure, the odds may be stacked against us, but you're in our corner. And we're humbly grateful for that.